Before we get to our text this morning, which is Luke 22, verses 1 through 23, I'm going to ask, what is your favorite meal? Kids, adults, what's your favorite meal? Maybe it's a kind of food that you really like. Maybe, you know, it's pizza or steak or seafood. Maybe it's a meal that is a part of a celebration, right? Like when you celebrate certain things, you have certain things that are part of that meal. Maybe it's a celebration like uh, Thanksgiving or your birthday. Or maybe it's a national celebration where you use food and aspects of that celebration uh, to represent certain aspects of what you're celebrating and remembering. We can look forward to those meals, to those celebrations, not just because of the food, but what those celebrations, what those foods represent as we come to the table. This morning, our text tells us that Jesus earnestly desired to eat this meal with his disciples. It's as if this is one of, this is Jesus looking forward to this favorite meal, this meal of the Passover, this meal that God's people ate together year after year after year as a celebration and remembrance of the salvation that God's people experienced when God brought them out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. The food that they ate, the sacrificed lamb, the bread, the wine, represented certain aspects of their deliverance, of their salvation. And Jesus takes these items of food that have meant salvation, have meant deliverance, For thousands of years, he takes these, this food of the Passover meal, and instead of looking back to the salvation that God gave Israel when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus takes the food and makes it about him. Looking forward to his death on the cross. Salvation not from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to sin and death. Let's read Luke 22, verses 1 through 23. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, 
Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is finished, until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this text, the last supper that becomes the meal by which, Lord, we remember your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. By we, we remember his death and ultimate resurrection, the forgiveness of sin, the new life in him. Lord, be with us, we pray, as we come to your word. Lord, may it not only transform our lives, but may we be conformed to it. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, titled Confidence in Christ, we heard the last teaching and prophecy of Jesus in the temple before his passion. Last week was the second part of Jesus' prophecy about the destruction of the temple and his second coming. And we saw from the text that instead of trying to decipher when Jesus will come again, we are to keep watch and discern. Just as Jesus went into the presence of the Ancient of Days with power and great glory, riding in the clouds at his ascension into heaven, so he will come again with power and great glory, riding on the clouds to bring final restoration to his kingdom. And because Jesus is coming again, he calls us to stay awake. And our text today moves us into what is often referred to the passion of our Lord, the last hours of his life and ministry before dying on the cross for the sin of the world. Passover, as is mentioned in our text, celebrated the night of Israel's exodus from Egypt, what we read in our Old Testament reading this morning. And while the Feast of Unleavened Bread was commemorated or commemorated the Exodus journey as well, it was also the beginning of the harvest season. Uh, Leviticus 23, 5 through 8 describes the uh, Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And during this time, they, the Pas Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were, were together. They, during this time, pilgrims from all over the region would flock to Jerusalem for this national celebration. 
It was in a small way, if you can think of it, it would be like in the United States, a combination of Independence Day and Thanksgiving holidays in the United States, right? It'd be those two kind of coming together, a celebration of freedom over a a great meal and feast of, of Thanksgiving. And that's even, doesn't even come close to explaining what this would have been like in the life of the Jewish people. This combined Jewish feast was a celebration of salvation. As we come to the text, we see in our text that there is a desire to kill, a desire to scheme against God, a willingness to betray even a friend. In the midst of all the sin and evil, the text says Jesus earnestly desired to eat this Passover with his disciples. And that's what we see in our text, that as we come to it, in the midst of sin and evil, in the midst of the sin and evil that we experience in our lives, the midst of sin and evil that we see in the world, in the midst of sin and evil going on in their very text this morning, the plotting, the division, in the midst of sin and evil, Jesus provides a new exodus. He provides a new exodus, a new salvation for all who believe. And it's interesting, the irony in our text is that the Jewish leaders, as they plot to kill Jesus, is during the Passover, during the celebration of the Exodus. They are plotting to kill the one who claims to be the fulfillment of all the Exodus deliverance that's represented in what is being celebrated in Jerusalem at this time. They are plotting murder in the name of righteousness. Think about that. Right? They're plotting murder in the name of righteousness. Sin always distorts reality. Whether it's plotting murder or whether it's plotting a little white lie. Sin always distorts reality. And it's not, the scripture tells us, it's not sin of the individuals or the group of leaders alone that is seeking to destroy, but it is Satan himself, the evil one, plots the destruction of Jesus as well. Because Jesus is our Passover lamb, we are set free from sin and evil. That's the main point of our text. Because Jesus is our Passover lamb, we are set free from sin and evil. First, Jesus is the Passover, the Passover of Jesus. What's important for us to understand is that this is the Passover of Jesus. Uh, the meaning of the passion of Jesus is given in the simple words in, in, uh, chap- in verse 7, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, right? This is the day on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, that Jesus celebrates this meal with his disciples. And it is the verse that gives us the glasses, the prism to look through to see what 
Jesus' passion means. It is on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. The narrative gives us two distinct yet related parallels to what's happening in this text. They're both going on simultaneously. It's a celebration of the Passover according to the old covenant, right? Jesus directs the disciples to go and prepare, right? So they had to get the the lamb and take it and have it sacrificed at the temple. They had to prepare it. They had to prepare the rest of the meal, get the wine. They're preparing for the Passover as they would have always done. They are celebrating the Passover according to the covenant that God made with his people. And yet, he's also instituting at the same time a new covenant to be commemorated by a new meal. As Jesus says in verse 20, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And we have to keep both of these in mind as we progress through Luke's account to understand, to to have this understanding of the old covenant ritual of Passover, the Passover meal with the new covenant, the way that Jesus transforms the covenant in him in the Lord's Supper and in his ultimate sacrifice, right? First, Luke sets the stage, right, for the Passover. The Passover lamb, as I said, was sacrificed in the temple. The feast had arrived, Luke says in verse 1. The Passover lamb must be slain. The Passover meal must be prepared and eaten by the people of God, This is how we come to these three days from the perspective of the disciples, right? The disciples are coming to this expecting another Jewish Passover like those they had celebrated since they were little boys. They are looking through this, through those glasses, through that prism. And yet Jesus says that his death as a sacrificial Passover lamb is the one who fills and fulfills all that the Passover represented and pointed to and makes the sacrifices of the Old Testament obsolete. This is the deeper and more important message of our text, that the Passover lamb whose blood atones for all sin is Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as we read in John 1, 29. And so we are set up with these two ways in which we see our text. The way that the disciples are no doubt experiencing what is to come and what Jesus is transforming, filling and fulfilling this meal. The Old Testament prophets and Judaism itself looked for a new exodus when God would again deliver his people from bondage, right? They were looking for that. It's not like they weren't looking for this new exodus, but they were expecting a new Moses, not a new lamb, 
right? You see the, the, the glasses that the disciples are wearing is expecting to see a new Moses. They're expecting Jesus to be the one who will lead this new exodus, who will deliver them from this new bondage that they are under. And yet Jesus says, here, take those glasses off and put these new glasses on and see that it's not a new Moses that you need, but a new lamb. A lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so instead of what the disciples expected, celebrating another Jewish Passover as they had done with the fixed ritual of God's redeeming, gracious deliverance out of Egypt. What the disciples experienced on that night was not just like every other Passover, but they experienced Jesus' Passover. Jesus took the ritual of the Passover and gives it all new meaning, pointing to its fulfillment in himself. He reinterprets the story of the Exodus, the the broken bread, the cup of blessing in terms of himself. He took the old Passover meal and made it his meal, the Lord's Supper, a new meal that supersedes all previous meals of God's table fellowship. Jesus is the once and for all Passover lamb. This is Jesus' Passover Because on this night, the lamb who must be sacrificed stands prepared to offer his body, to pour out his blood, that the angel of death would pass over all who believe. The old has passed away and the new has come. And after this Passover, Jesus' Passover, there will be no more need for the Jews to celebrate the Passover because as Paul reminds the Corinthians and us in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover, has been slain. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the world has passed from death to life. We, God's people, have passed over from death to life. And when we come to the Lord's table, we remember the Passover of Jesus, his body and blood given for you. His body and blood given for us, our salvation, for our exodus, our freedom from Satan, sin, and death. The Passover on that night was fulfilled with its full meaning. And from that time onward, it signifies to the people of God the greatest deliverance from sin and death into eternal life. Moses' exodus was fulfilled in the exodus of Jesus, the Passover of Jesus. His exodus will be remembered and sung for all eternity as John wrote in Revelation 5.12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. So is the Passover of Jesus that he institutes on that night 
that we call the Lord's Supper. He takes what had been known and celebrated for eons and gives us new life, new meaning. And he does that by inviting us to his table, the table of Jesus. It's the Passover of Jesus at the table of Jesus. Even as Jesus gives himself for those he loves, one of them is giving Jesus over in betrayal. The table fellowship that Jesus has is not pure. Someone sits at the table who longs for Jesus to be removed. So the Son of Man will Go as has been determined, Jesus says, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus reveals to his disciples and to the one who's about to betray him that his death is no surprise. He is fully in control. It has been determined, and he is determined to see the plan through to the end. And throughout Scripture, the table is a vision of both beauty and communion with God, but it is also holds a reality that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Friends aren't supposed to betray friends. The leaders of God's people are supposed to recognize the truth, the reality of all things present among them in Jesus Christ, not desire to use a friend to kill the Son of God. And yet, in the midst of this reality, where the world is not the way it's supposed to be, there is beauty and communion with God and Jesus Christ. And so, as the church, our eating and drinking of the supper from Easter morning to the second coming is an act of table fellowship in the midst of trouble, pain, and heartache celebrating the kingdom of God has come and will one day come in its fullness. Jesus has given us a simple meal at his table. And it's interesting that if you think about a simple meal way earlier in the Bible, in fact, in the first three chapters of the Bible, a simple meal of forbidden fruit. When Adam and Eve took and ate, brought sin and death, but now another simple meal of bread and wine where Jesus says, take and eat, brings new life and forgiveness to all those who believe. It is the meal in which we, the people of God, remember the great acts of God's salvation. Just as those of Israel remembered the great acts of God's salvation and being rescued from Egypt. But it's not only that we remember God's great acts of salvation, but God has given to the church by Christ himself a means through which he reminds us of his grace, of his mercy in Christ, and actually bestows that grace upon us as we come to the table. 
And these two go hand in hand in our remembrance. When we come to the table of Jesus, we were reminded, we remember the great acts of his salvation. But we also receive the good gifts of God for the people of God. We receive the gifts that he gives. We remember him in faith as we respond in love toward him and toward our neighbor. Jesus at his table calls his disciples then and today to remember, to do this in remembrance of me. It's that idea of remembering where there's something that grips our lives, that grips not merely a thought, but it grips the memory of our lives. Like when you, like when I, uh, in, the, in the summertime, walk outside after a rain and the smell grips me because I am taken back to the backyard of my grandparents in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, when we would visit in the summertime and the rain would fall and it would hit the dirt in Western Pennsylvania in a certain way that it did not smell like that in Kansas or in New York only here, and it would grip me. That's the remembering that Jesus says we are to have at his table. When we take the bread, when we drink from the cup, it's a remembering that grips us. I didn't ask permission to say who this was, but one of our members, so I won't say a name, the first Sunday that we reintroduced wine had this experience where growing up, her church had wine in the supper. And when that wine hit her mouth, it gripped her and reminded her of the good news of Jesus that she heard as a little girl. in the church that did not help her to live faithfully as a disciple of Christ, but brings together that reality of what she, was, what she heard, what she was taught, and now what she knows. It grips us. Do this and be gripped by the memory of me. of what I have done. When the church takes this meal, looking back to what Christ has done, it is not only a remembrance that grips us, but it becomes a statement of solidarity with Jesus, a public covenant renewal. We don't only remember what God has done in Christ for us. We feed upon the grace of Jesus spiritually as we eat the bread and drink the cup. We are renewed as those who have been reminded of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus shed for us. We are also called to live in solidarity with Jesus. Those who have received the blessings of Jesus' Passover are to offer those blessings, that grace, his mercy at our tables just as he has welcomed us to his. 
You see, Jesus welcomes his friends to his table, and yet one will betray him unto death. One will deny even knowing Jesus, not once, but three times, and the rest will scatter in fearful denial. You see, Jesus welcomes friends who will not live up to the call of friendship. He welcomes even enemies, those who he knows are seeking to destroy him. Brothers and sisters, who are we welcoming into our table fellowship? Both corporately as a church and individually, who is welcome at our tables? Those like us who think, look, believe similarly to us, The table of Jesus, the Lord's table, is open to all who believe in Jesus. Yet Jesus had many other tables that were set for sinners and tax collectors and even his enemies. The psalmist David, in one of his most famous pieces of poetry ever written, Psalm 23, says, You have set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? I was meditating on this this week. The psalm isn't just about David's understanding of God as his shepherd, right? It points to the great shepherd, Jesus. And not only is he the great shepherd, but he is the one who the psalm is about, who understands fully that God is his shepherd. He is the one who faithfully followed his heavenly father as his shepherd. He is the one who fully trusted in the paths of righteousness that his father led him. He is the one who walked through the shadow of death and comfort of the father. He is the one who God prepared a table in the presence of his enemies. While we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. And yet each one of us who are in Christ can say that Psalm 23 is also about me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he comforts me. His rod and his staff are with me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. May we who have no want, who are led by our great shepherd, Jesus, be those who open our tables both literally and figuratively to our neighbors, both friends and enemies alike. As we have been set free, may we share that freedom from sin and evil, even with our enemies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have been set free through the Passover of Jesus. that we, Lord, have been 
served by him. Lord, that we are his. Lord, that we know the salvation because of his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, may we, as we've received that, share with others. May our tables be open. And Lord, may they come to know you and come to this table. A table that is spread for all who were once enemies. Once ones who were all at once betrayers. Ones who have not faithfully followed you and yet come in repentance. Lord, may this table be open to them all. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.